0: Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll up. <laughs> That's silly? Shoot him now! Shoot him now! I gotcha! <laughs> Yes, from Hollywood, we have the most important episode of the, the, the 10 we've done so far. Yes, the movie episode. We've only been talking about shorts for a good nine weeks now, so I figure, why don't we talk about Hollywood, movies, everything. And now back to the Hollywood version of That's Not Quite All, folks, the Hollywoodist one that we have. I'm your Hollywood host, Jordan Schmidt, joined by my Hollywood co-host. And I'm Mark.
1: Hey.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Big John. Yes.
0: and. We unfortunately will not be joined by Hollywood Hogan this evening or uh, be followed by Hollywood Squares, but this is a very Hollywood episode because we get to talk about the first Hollywood entry into the Looney Tunes canon after all these weeks of talking about non-Hollywood, vaguely theatrical sort of shorts. That's right, the very first Looney Tunes motion picture. Uh, I was about to say the wrong one. Uh, (laughs) Which shows you how wound up I am this week. Um, I told you, we're not
1: doing Bugs Bunny Superstar.
0: We're not doing Bugs... Damn it! Uh, (laughs) Yes, that's right, folks. This week we will be talking about the very first uh, Looney Tunes motion picture feature, as in longer than seven minutes, which is affectionately known as the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie, although it's known to Chuck Jones fans as the Chase movie, because... That's really what Chuck Jones is all about. And this this episode for us is also going to be an opportunity just to talk in depth about Chuck Jones because as Looney Tunes fans, we are contractually obligated, but also we do it out of, out of love as well, to adore Chuck Jones because he's great.
1: Yeah, I think that part of that has something to do with the fact that Cartoon Network, when we were kids, aired an entire programming block called The Chuck Jones yes. Show. So even from a young age we knew, oh, all these great cartoons you love are by the same guy. So we literally had the same um, realization as, um, we, had this, we had the same realization as John Lasseter from the Chuck Jones documentary.
0: Well, uh, is, I don't know. It's 2020. Is it a great time to associate with John Lasseter?
1: No, no, it's oh, not.
0: Damn. But regardless, this is a interesting one to talk about because it's a lot different from a lot of the uh, the subsequent looney features in that it's not really a frizz freeling joint to so to speak and it's it's very much Chuck Jones's creation and uh it's very much his way of putting things together, which is arguably why it doesn't work very well as a movie, but we'll get to that um but do we want to just go into backstory on? Actually, no. I've got a good thing to start with in terms of Chuck Jones, because I, I, you, you hinted at it with the last one. But what is it about Chuck Jones as an animator or as an animation director that makes it that makes him so well loved by all the Looney Tunes fans? What do you think that is?
1: I think it's just it's the batting average of great shorts, really. I mean, I mean, you think like think of like the most. I mean, I'd use the word stereotypical, but like, if you were to think of like, like, what are great Loon Tunes shorts, and you start listing them, and eventually you start to realize that, wait, a minute, these are all by Chuck Jones. Like, for example, like, oh man, I love Duck and, Muck and Bully for Bugs, and oh my God, Rabbit Fire is a great one. Like, all like the most quoted moments from Loon Tune shorts just so happen to come from uh, Chuck Jones's uh, direction.
0: Right. And going off of that point, actually, and I, I, when I was doing research for Chuck Jones for this episode, I apparently there was a list contemporarily in the last 20 or so years of the top 50 animated shorts of all time, all companies, all encompassing, all that. And 10, I think 10 entries were Chuck Jones and I think five were, like like he had four of the top five entries in there. So literally what, what you say about his batting average is no. mm-hmm all of these great ones are Chuck Jones, that really speaks volumes. But I think it's also, and I I was just thinking about this before, but um, Chuck Jones is a very much, comes from the right kind of comedy mindset. He has the right slapstick sort of influences and you you can tell that he wears his heroes on his sleeve and obviously a lot of the silent heroes of that era. But at the same time, he's a very calculated, gag-oriented director, especially in the Roadrunner Coyote ones, and even in a lot of the Bugs and Daffy ones. He's one of the most well-thought-out and calculated uh, creators there are. And it's it's very nice as a a contemporary writer, not of animation, of of non-animated things, uh, to just see how he constructs scenes and sequences and gags. And it's very bare-bones sort of you-can-learn-from-this sort of thing. Uh, Not even just his Looney Tunes stuff, but even his later Metro and also his TV specials he did with Seuss. He's definitely a, a, an animator's animator, comedy writer's comedy writer, and um, it's great that we get to talk about him on such a frequent basis. Yeah,
1: and also just and just the fact that he lived long enough to get the the appeal that he deserved, frankly, yes. you know, like especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, just on all the awards, shows apart parts to the fact that in the 90s there was a nostalgia for uh the 60s and television programming of that right. era which of course blue are a part of so just you know see like you know old old chuck jones like accepting an academy award from robin williams yes which, like that's just great i i i, I just loved, loved just as robin williams being like yeah i'm a chuckaholic
0: because yes, <laughs> he so. made all these great yeah, with, with, That's just yeah and you, you also see that uh, going off of what you said about the the contemporary 90s and 80s sort of resurgent for chuck but another filmmaker who used chuck as not only an influence but also used literally him in a lot of his movies in that era was joe dante and like because chuck jones pops up and i think either one or both of the of the Gremlins movies. I know he's in the first one. I forget if he's in the second one. He's definitely an inner, in uh, inner space. And obviously his influence is all over like back in action or small soldiers or a lot of Joe Dante's more frantic, animation friendly. I, th- I think he might've also popped up somewhere in the Twilight Zone movie. I may be very wrong on that. But again, you get to see Chuck Jones collaborate with people who have, grown up, influenced entirely by his animation work and by his writing style. And obviously all the people who are doing contemporary uh, Looney Tunes cartoons now, you know, the the Bowses and the, the, the new ones on HBO Max, they all take great responsibility, not only from Chef Jones but from his writing styles and his brethren. Although I think the animation style in the new Looney Tunes is a bit more clampity. I don't know about you.
1: Oh yeah. They have have admitted, like, yeah, like when it came to the the HBO Max ones, like, we looked very much at 40s clampets. Heck, um, the gremlin from Falling Hairs apparently shows up in a future HBO, oh, future, it might already come out by this point, but uh, (laughs) HBO Max short coming up. So, as they're they're deep into uh, 40s clampet style, which is good.
0: I mean, this style is is not what we're arguing about here. It's just, but we'll we'll get into the clampet bashing in, in a little bit. But um, but yeah no I mean there's a lot to talk about with Chuck there's a lot to love with Chuck and it's kind of cool that the first Looney Tunes movie uh, comes at his hand and just so you guys know how we're gonna be doing the movies especially the uh, the 70s and 80s movies that are just compilations of cartoons we're gonna be going over like the way that the way it works as a movie the way the sort of bridging sequences and like narrative aspect of the movie goes. And then we're gonna just point out what cartoons are used without going in too much detail because some of the ones in these either we've already covered or we are going to cover on future episodes. So we'll be very coy and we'll just say like, hey, this one's in here, we like this one. Here's a factoid or two about it. And then we'll move on to the next one because we don't wanna, yeah, we, yeah sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah, for example, Rapid Fire is in this.
0: We really, yes. really like
1: that cartoon. We don't want to burn off Rabbit fire in the movie episode. It deserves its own episode. So, yeah. So, that's the that, that yeah. actual that part of it. Just Also, also I, I think we're going to be doing that more for this one than the Frizz films, because the Frizz films, they do the, so much are argue, kind of silly, but it works, where he'll take the Looney Tunes shorts and actually make like a full movie out of it. Like, give it a story and like plug these old shorts into the narrative. So that makes it much more... And I you know,
0: honestly prefer that to Yeah. Yeah.
1: Chuck. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll, we'll get into more when I mean, we we'll, yeah, approach the Frizz films, but uh, but yeah. So, so we're going to essentially be doing mm. a five minutes or less analysis of each short.
0: <laughs> we'll run through like you know what it's known for. Yeah, exactly. Just be very brief about it because we want to cover these in future episodes and we know that a, especially a lot of the ones in this one our very sacred cow is sort of legendary. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've already done, I'm getting ahead of myself yet again. Uh, this is what happens when I lead a podcast, Mark, you see. Uh, do we have any ba- uh, fun backstory on Chuck that we wanna throw in before we actually go into the movie? Because I know we talked about some of that.
1: Yeah, so um, just a quick uh, genesis of how this movie happened. Um, we don't have much like information about like, oh, how did Chuck, it, Pretty much what happened was, in the 50s, the Warner Brothers Animation Studio, is shut down. Um, Freeling <laughs> created a company with Apache, uh, I, 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 I don't know his first name, uh, but uh, but they created their own studio where they took a lot of Tune people, they made their own Tune stores in the 60s, mm. and, and around that time, uh, you know, uh, Chuck went and did his his own thing. There was a bit of a controversy because, like in the '60s, I believe Chuck helped production on a 1960s animated feature starring Judy Garland called uh, *Gabe Perry*. And what ha- what happened was, uh, Warner Brothers was not happy to see Chuck Jones working on a because it was a a UPA film, which is the the animation style from the '50s that gave you know that gave like. You know, it was like a cheaper animation model. Anyways, so Warner Bros. was was pissed at Chuck for doing this. Got into a bit of a uh, a skirble, and then Chuck just said, "You know, what? forget this. I'm I'm not doing Warner Bros. stuff ever again. I'm done. I'm gonna make my own studio and and do my own thing." Yeah, cut about uh, you know about ten years later, and cooler heads prevailed. Chuck came back to Warner Brothers um, by doing TV specials for them. Um, he worked on them with Frizz. He did, um, his first short back was the, uh, Bugs and Daffy and the Carnival of the Animals. That was the first, like, Chuck. I've never heard of that one. <laughs> eh. I've I heard it's good. I've, I've never had the patience to sit through the entire thing because they do the full Carnival. We of should the
0: cover animals. it for this.
1: Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, well, Eventually. <laughs> yeah. So. Eventually, um, Chuck Jones, he he has a studio at this point, so his studio gets a Warner Brothers and just goes, hey, let's make a movie. Uh, I'll do a movie of my own shorts. I assume that's what happened because, again, there's not much behind the scenes on this movie, so it's just like assumption. So, So this was made in 1978, and the movie was released in 1979. So yeah. So yeah, that's all we got
0: here. Exactly. And just to clarify, um, you know, all the, all the shorts are Chuck Jones shorts. Uh, the, the bridging sequences are done by Phil Monroe. Cause you know, that's how this works. You gotta have, I mean, again, Frizz would do this a lot better, but Chuck's whole thing is you gotta weave the shorts together with a, a solid narrative and, um, you got Phil Monroe to do that. And, um, is there any other backstory kind of stuff we need to do before we get into it? Because, you know.
1: No, it was uh, you know, directed by Chuck Jones. Um, Michael Maltese wrote the script for for the bridging sequences. He's credited as yeah. Mike. Yeah, as uh, <laughs> as Mike Maltese, you know, to because I guess I guess when you're doing a movie, you want your proper name on the credits. I don't know.
0: He should have been. That should have been Charlie Jones as well. So we'll get into it. Um, Already, just from the opening, that's not all folks gag, you can already see a difference in animation. Just from how simply and honestly how cheap it looks, especially compared to a lot of the later um, shorts that are going to be in this movie. But yeah, there's a running gag in here about the, the, the that's all folks sort of emblem popping in prematurely. And, you know, it's at the top and it's when then Bugs literally has to look at it and go, that's not all folks. And this will come back. But mm-hmm. um, opening sequence, uh, we get We lampshade that this is basically initially called the chase movie, which is a very Chuck Jones kind of thing, because later parts of this examine the history of the chase. And it's really what car- all Chuck Jones cartoons are all about. So making this about chases and, and is going really in depth on what makes Chuck Jones cartoons funny. So it, it this this movie. What I like about it is that it's very much a look into Chuck Jones's comedy mindset. It's basically Chuck Jones through Bugs, lifting up the sort of tent of the animation tent and saying, "Come in here, see how I work, see how all of these sort of flow." Yeah. Um, so we get into the bridging, which is basically this whole movie takes place in Bugs Bunny's sort of his Hollywood mansion, essentially, and it's. Like his yes. his house is like a, a Frank Lloyd Wright kind of it is architecture. Uh, he's literally sunning himself on his mansion. Yeah,
1: it's it's exactly it's exactly based on Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, Falling Water house, which yeah I know all which I know all about thanks to my uh, history of American art class that I took. I didn't pass it, but I know about that house. I know all about that house. Yeah, yeah. Wow. For Frank Lloyd Wright was a uh, He's a very big personality in the architecture world. Um, bit, bit, bit of a uh, of a stubborn uh, mule, but uh, yeah, he made the Fallingwater house that's located in the Poconos, I believe.
0: I don't know. I, 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 if I'm going to the Poconos, I'm not going to see architecture.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's located
0: somewhere in in a. Pencil. So we we get our our bug sequences, and he's sort of setting himself on a lounge chair uh, and on his patio, and. Mel Blanc in the past 15 years since stopping production on the WB stuff has aged a bit. His voice in this is noticeably more gin-soaked and raspier than it was in the original Warner Brothers run. Even though his Bugs is still really good. Like, there's just a noticeable difference. Not as noticeable as Quackbusters, but noticeable. (laughs) Um,
1: Oh, Oh, boy. That's going to be a sad.
0: Thing. Yeah, we'll get to. I, I happen to like Quackbusters, oh. aside from you know the the disparity of that. But I I, I also just don't like insulting Mel Blanc because he's oh, a legend, and even if his bugs is a little dimmer, he's still doing great. Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah, it's still really good
0: bugs. Yeah. The uh, the bridging goes into detail about Bugs exploits, and he's got all these portraits on the wall, and all these other characters. You know the Elmers the Wiley Coyotes, that Billy Pew's and everything. Uh, there's a picture of Yosemite Sam that is shown that Frizz gets a little credit for. And I, I like the little touch Mel Blank does here where when Bugs does a brief Yosemite Sam impression, it's still in the same sped up Bugs tone. <laughs> like instead of just going, just dropping it and just doing full Sam, it's just, it's literally Bugs doing Sam. So that works. After this, we get into the sort of history of the chase kind of sequence, which it, it, if I could get a good comparison here, this history of the chase bit where we go back in time and we go to like cavemen in the 1920s and all these different types, uh, uh, it's very reminiscent of the beginning of history of the world part one. I don't know if you, I don't know when the last I, time you saw that one was.
1: I. That's one of the, I, I, that is one of the few Mel Brooks films that I, I've seen clips of. I've seen like the the Jesus bit. Uh, I've seen that. Yeah. But besides from that, of course, of course, he's biggest dickus and all that. But I haven't seen the uh,
0: the full film. No. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Go back. Biggest Dickus is Monty Python. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch it one of these days. It's 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 pretty good. It's not my favorite Mel Brooks because my favorite Mel Brooks is uh, Young Frankenstein, which is my number one favorite movie of all time. Um, but it's really good. And the beginning of that is an Orson Welles narrated segments on cavemen times and sort of very observational sort of, I'm not going to spoil the opening joke of that movie, but it's basically using cavemen and uh, even the beginning of 2001, honestly, and going to very lowbrow sort of um, ways with it. But yeah. I like the drawn-out nature of the little Star Wars crawl that leads up to this. Which
1: I, I find so funny to watch that and go, oh yeah, there was a time where Star Wars and the people who made the Looney Tunes coexisted. They both yes. existed at the same time. So it's the Star Wars parody, and this was, this was 79, so this is like... so Two years later. It, there's of references. This is actually a new thing they're making fun of. It's a
0: topical joke, yeah.
1: And also, also what, I found, what I found kind of funny is um after after the Star Wars thing, and Bugs is just explaining the universe, just in my head, I'm just going, oh, so this is uh, Bugs Sagan.
0: <laughs> billions and billions of wabbits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm Carl Bug Sagan. I'm going to write a movie called Contact. But yeah, the, the, there's this caveman sequence, um, which we get into. It's a completely different type of humor from the the bug stuff. And I, for a while, I didn't know why it was here, because like, it's it's Chuck Jones doing a lot of observational stuff. And I'm not going to detail every joke because it's not really what people are here to see. But it's this sort of like it's it's bugs or really it's Chuck explaining the history of the chase and how comedy got started through like the caveman times. And it eventually turns into the history of film itself, which is nice. And we see live-action early film in a cartoon scene, which is actually cool, kind of cool. And it turns into a recap of the history of comedy on screen from the 20s and 30s with silent film comedy scenes thrown in there. Do I remember correctly that Frizz does a similar thing in uh, Looney, Looney Looney Bugs Bunny movie?
1: Well, not exact, exact, but pretty much,
0: yeah. Yeah, because I, I remember a lot of the same sort of gags. And it's it's just a brief... Like, Frizz spends about five seconds, like, just that montage explaining his influence rather than Chuck spending a good two or three minutes in this about his influence. And this is a glimpse into Chuck Jones's thought process for how Bugs was created, but it's more interesting coming out of Bugs' mouth than Chuck's because Chuck said it a million times. So I think it's clever that he has Bugs explain it. Um, And then after all this history of jokes and gags, we segue into a clip from Rabbit Season just as an establishing gag. But still it's, 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 it's a more linear sort of transition to, from the history of the chase to the history of film, to Bugs sticking his head in a hole with Elmer that, which that came out wrong. Um, But I digress. We get back to Bugs and this is, oh, this is the controversial bit. Yeah. Cause Bugs has a nice line here about having several fathers Sort of winking at all the people who claim to have created him. And he goes to the sort of wall of creators and he mentions Tech Avery, Chuck Jones, Friz Freeling, Bob McKimson, and not Bob Clampett. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: He's no not in so it.
1: Why Bob Clampett
0: isn't in it? Uh, I think I've got a theory. Which is Jones' pissed the Clampett for taking too much credit in Bugs Bunny superstar, Boo Bob.
1: It, it was the documentary, and also because Clampett would go to colleges and again be like, Yeah, I created Bugs Bunny. Here's me drawing him. Here's what we did. Blah, blah, blah. And then Chuck, and of course, Chuck, friends with Frizz. So Fritz was also probably uh, pissed off at Bob for doing this. Yeah. So yeah, that's just a nice. So here's the thing not only does he not credit Bob Clampett, he credits. Every single writer who's worked on a Bugs Bunny shirt, he credits Mel Blanc, who, who, who voiced Bugs Bunny. Literally, he credits everyone. If that scene, that scene could have gone off for like five more minutes, where it's just Bugs just name dropping every paint artist and every and, and Carl Stalling and Mel Franklin and Trey Brown. Maybe they could credit the sound effects man
0: before he credits Bob Clampett. <laughs> he should have just came out and said. Thank you to everyone who worked on a Bugs Bunny film, except for that rat bastard, Bob Clampett. <laughs> he does point out, again, like as you said, he points out the writers like Ted Pierce and Warren Foster and Mike Maltese. Mike again. And of course, there's a very heartfelt bit where Bugs, as or Mel Blanc as Bugs, gives a thank you to Mel Blanc, which is really cute and sweet. So for giving him, you know, something about like, has a million, a man of a million voices, but he was nice enough to give me one of his. Something along those lines, I didn't write it down. Um, And before we go into the actual montage of shorts, which are basically presented simply as that, like this movie just sort of doesn't really bridge the shorts around a whole story. The bugs at his mansion thing is sort of the story. It's not really a linear story. It's, it basically is a glorified clip show. And but Bugs makes it clear that all of these are Chuck Jones cartoons and all of the cartoons here are Chuck's Bob.
1: And just Bugs going um uh, who who goes by the unlikely name of Chuck Jones, which Yes. I'm thinking that's kind of a live by Chuck on himself for crediting yeah. himself under Charles M. Jones for all those years. Because yeah. maybe now he he he's thinking back like actually like, probably just gone by Chuck. I don't know why I put my full name in every single cartoon I've done at that studio. <laughs> well,
0: why do you think Frizz for, like, 10 years went, like, eye freely? Was it, like, the, the prequel to Isaac Asimov's iRobot?
1: Robot? Um, <laughs> Maybe it was all about, like, being proper. Like, oh, we're a proper artist. Here's our hmm. real, real name stuff. No problem. Going by... The nicknames we probably used around our peers when making these shorts.
0: All right, so after that we we get into the the um the shorts part of this of uh, this movie, and then that makes up the bulk of the rest of it. Um, because yeah. the first one we see is "Hairway to the Stars," which is a Marvin the Martian one. Um, I honestly think that's it's to date the best Marvin the Martian one. I don't know if you would say a similar thing. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like in terms of the um the Marvin slash bugs cartoons.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, without going into too much detail, because we are going to cover this one at a later date. Um, some of the layout and background and design stuff on this one are super cool, and they stand out so well when everything else in this movie just takes place in a forest or a desert or kinder places. But um, yeah, and it's it's a good one. Uh, again, we'll get to it in however many. But um, the one. Did follow them. Am I good to move on? First of all, to the next one.
1: it's <laughs> right, just, just just a few uh, quick things I have here. Um, it, it's the fourth Marvel of the Martian cartoon that was made. And trust, and of course, uh, the 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 big joke everybody loves is, you know, he's supposed to space modulator, it's a dynamite. Well, I'll take that right away. It says, where's the kaboom?
0: There's supposed to be <laughs> an earth shattering kaboom. To this day, people quote that one. We also like, cause again, he has brief themes, Chuck Jones in this. He tries to tie a couple of these together, but it's not like the themes in um, Frizz films where you can sort of see them segueing, like like how there's like, you get three straight Rocky and Muggsy cartoons or three straight um, Sam and Peril cartoons. But there's a brief segue from that one into the next one, which is Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a Half Century, which is a classic, and I will not allow any slander on in this um, podcast. You won't get it from me. Oh, good. No, I, I really like that one, and it's and it, we're, we're obviously going to cover it. But um, it's you know you, you all know the drill. It's it's Daffy Duck and Porky Pig as e- either a space cadet going to planet X and finding Marvin the Martian. You know, it's, it's all of that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, and it's just a, the other thing I have to add here is, um, this was one of the shorts that I remember being on all the time when I was a kid. Same. Uh, like, like they, they, they loved airing the Gods of Century on Cartoon Network, which, of course, it's a, it's a great short.
0: I have a very niche, weird memory that I don't think anybody listening is going to be is going to be able to relate to other than a one Brandon Hardy from Kentucky. But, um, I remember, um, I, I don't know if you remember this, cause I don't know if one of the malls near us used to have a WB store, which was in the same vein as a, uh, as the Disney store. I don't know if you, if that was the, the central mall that's closer to you, but, or if it's the one on the other side of town. Does ring any bells? I don't remember
1: a WG store existing near me, so uh, no.
0: Okay, if then it must have been the one on the other side of town. Um, but I remember going in because I must have been like maybe like four or five when this was still there, and I remember going in. And they had this sort of weird mini climb in spaceship kind of deal. And I remember they were just playing on a loop the Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a Half Century cartoon, and that's how I got to know it because of just the weird Marvin the Martian sort of aesthetic that this part of the store had. I that's I, it's very faint back of my head memories. I I may have been hallucinating something, but um, yeah, that's that's what I remember about the WB stories in the late 90s or maybe the early 2000s. I honestly don't remember. And again. Peep, it's a, unless there's anybody out there who can corroborate WB stores doing this across America or maybe Canada, I guess. But yeah, pop culture loves this short. They made a whole TV series out of it for a couple of years. We don't need to get into. Uh, do you have any other facts about this one? My,
1: my my favorite joke in it is just when he's in the ship, about to blow off, and then he had yeah, it goes down into the ground and <laughs> going, whoops, had the silly thing in reverse. That always kills me. That always slays me.
0: That's a great one.
1: <laughs> I don't
0: know why. I, I just... Yeah. Uh, and again, that one is just... I, I'm glad they did those two back-to-back because both of them show off a lot of Chuck Jones's more abstract animation sensibilities, whereas the rest yeah. of it are just lots of, you know, very commonplace settings. Like, after this one, we get into um, Robin Hood Daffy, which is a nice one. It's it's that one's on a lot of the the best of Daffy Duck ones. Um, it's pretty good. It's, it's yeah, I, I like it. But it's 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 structured and written very differently than a lot of the sort of Daffy and Porky ones that I'm used to, which is what I noticed on this watch of it. But um, it's good. It's good uh, representation of the Robin Hood lore. Um, you know, Porky's great in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just the the um the scene where, where it's after it's after Daffy has been, uh, drowned like, two times, and then Porky's just yeah. laughing, and then Daffy starts laughing, and, and yes. that's just a, a a nice wholesome moment of are the, just laughing so hard together for no reason, and, and, and then and then eventually eventually Daffy just like, well. How jolly can you get?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's yeah. it's a nice one. Um, and one of a few different Robin Hood-inspired uh, Looney Tune shorts from this era. Oh, yeah. um, anything of note on this one?
1: No, uh, no uh, just that both Daffy and Bugs have done Robin Hood shorts, the other one being uh, yeah. Rabbit Hood.
0: And I like that one, too. So... After that one, we get into one that we've covered, which is Duckamuck. We love it. It's great. Okay, up to the next one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to add about Duckamuck? Because we already heaped a lot of praise on it uh, in episode two. Yeah. Um, And if you want to hear if if for whatever reason you haven't listened to episode two yet, listen to that one because we go on for a while about how much we love Duckamuck, and and then I go on a rant about Duck Dodgers. Anything else of note on Duckamuck? um it's still good <laughs> that's,
1: that, yeah that's right. it, it, it's still really funny what i do love is at the end of that short because it ends with because the short ends with bugs bunny so of course yes. that's that's the pimple when we transition back bugs is at an animation desk yeah it, it, it footage it's like yeah 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 old duck anyways <laughs> it's like oh how we're we, we're doing connections Oh, that's... Yes. That's
0: nice. And I like that in that sequence, um, when, once we cut back to Bugs in the animation studio, he ref, Bugs refers to the difference between a rabbit and a mole, and a mole burrows while, while a rabbit doesn't, which is a very sly sort of... like. Can you imagine how many like zoologists or animal experts that came up to Chuck Jones in the years after the Wilmington's cartoons and said, rabbits don't travel underground like moles, you dummy.
1: And I, I'm sure Chuck's on the back of his mind... These are just cartoons. Look, we, we needed bugs to get somewhere. Shut up. <laughs> I mean,
0: if they didn't like those, wait until they see what the Roadrunner looks like. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that looks nothing like it is in the wild. Um, I also find the mole digression ironic because Mel Blanc was on another popular show featuring a mole. Uh, Secret Squirrel I'm referring to. But... Um, Yeah, uh, that interlude happens, and that's also a good way to transition into two straight um, bugs burrowing underground and popping up in various places across the world cartoons, the first of which is Bully for Bugs, which is (laughs) – we're going to get to it eventually, but Bully for Bugs is so good, Mark.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh my God.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh, God. Again, this is one of the shorts that Cartoon Network loved airing all the time. Why wouldn't they? I mean, I have no tear for Believe for Bugs, but I just want to say for when saved, before we do cover Believe for Bugs, because uh, yeah, it's just everything about that short is just yeah, it's it's just... it's a
0: classic. Yeah, it's it's not often when we're doing this that I feel myself kind of speechless just for it, except for it's really good, but. When we actually cover Boy for Bugs, I imagine I'll have more things to say oh, yeah. or more variations on this is good. But for right now, it's really good. If you've never seen it, what are you doing? After that one, we did another Bugs Burrowing cartoon, *Alibaba Baba Bunny, uh, with Daffy.
1: Yeah, this is one of the few Bugs and Daffy cartoons directed by Chuck that isn't a part of the hunting trilogy. Right.
0: And he'd do a lot more of these um, late fifties into the early sixties, and there'd be a lot more like the Abominable Snow Bunny or uh, Person the Bunny and People Are Bunny. Um, A lot more that are just verging on the rivalry rather than just trying to get each other killed. Um, And those are always really interesting. But Ali Bunny is a good one because, all right, I don't know if the entirety of this Arabian Nights era. Thing has aged very well but as a sort of stylized cartoonized version I think it's fine and I think okay. that the dilemma that our characters get into is very classic and I think it holds up really well
1: um, I guess if you really want to go into it I guess Hassan shop like okay maybe that's not the most uh, politically correct character where yeah, no. he, he's an Arab guard who's only whose only line is "I have to, to kill you," but uh, um, he drops like verbs and things. Yeah. yeah, not 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 the not the most. Uh, <laughs> he's not the focus. I don't
0: know. No. It, the, he's, he's 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 mostly just beat up on, which is nice. Yeah, and he's literally vaporized out of the cartoon, which is cool. Yeah, um, but no, that's a pretty good one.
1: Great, good yeah. one. Of course, what no, Daffy just. Sees the treasure, does that, you know. Mine, mine. It's all mine. Down, 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 go, go, go. Yeah. It's my my mine, mine. evil laugh. Great. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a classic
0: <laughs> greedy daffy one.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Way more way more of a better greedy daffy than say Um Ducking the Devil, for example. Where, yes. where like like Daffy's greedy, but it's not a fun greedy. It's more like Dappy's like actually being a bit of an intelligent, greedy. While well, with Alibaba Bunny, mm-hmm. it's just full blown. I want this. I, I want this. I-, I don't care about you. I don't care about anything. Uh, I want all this
0: treasure. Yeah, it's it's greed with a comeuppance, which which is always pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Um. Anything else about Alib- Alibaba Bunny? It
1: was voted number thirty-five of the fiftieth greatest cartoons of
0: all time. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then we get one more Bugs and Daffy one for the road, which ends up being uh, Rabbit Fire, which is a classic that we're going to get to very soon on this. But it's yeah, you know, it, what 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 else can we say about the sort of um, hunting trilogy? I mean, it's it's timeless. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said like like we, we literally cannot say anything else about this short until. Maybe
0: next week. I don't know. Yeah. So the next short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll be very coy on that one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, after after *Rabbit Fire*, Chuck Jones pulls a fast one on us because instead of doing more Bugs and Daffy or Bugs or even the Road Runner that hasn't even been um, uh, introduced yet, he throws in a peppy Le Pew cartoon for some reason. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and uh, and the uh and the transition in order to 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 get to uh the uh, Pebble Pew cartoon was that um we did talk about this but the transition from cuz cause, cause there there's the bit where like Bugs is looking at a female uh rabbit. He's like, "Oh man, well, oh, yeah. why could not I be uh with her?" cuz every single time I go somewhere, I'm with this hmm. cowardice, and it's just this long pan up of a Daffy portrait, while Buck's just <laughs> talking about how arrogant and like just do all these horrible things about Daffy yeah. Duck.
0: That was a good one.
1: No, no, but the the, the Pew transition. What was that one?
0: I forget. Yeah. And I literally was watching watch this recently. Recent? Yeah, movie. same. Um, which says a lot about this movie. But um, we get in, and we, you know, the, the one good Pepe Le Pew cartoon to do in a, in a collection like this would be for sentimental reasons, and thankfully it's the one they use, because it's the one that won Chuck Jones one of his few Oscars working for the Warner Brothers Company. Yeah. So we get that one, and that's honestly one of the better uh, Pepe Le Pew cartoons. It's a great proof concept one. The only negative thing I can say about it is um,
1: it's shortened, yeah. given... It's been a while since I've seen this cartoon, so I don't remember which part was edited. I do know that the glass suicide attempt joke, which oddly enough was the joke that would get cut the most out of like TV airings, because that is a pretty dark joke. Yeah, that joke stays in, and I I don't know what got cut out because I mean it's an hour and a half movie. I'm pretty sure if you wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Chuck could have shaved off a few gags at the end to get the full shorts of the ones coming up, but that's side the point.
0: Yeah. I mean, and for the record, I do also love that glass case gag just for the, the one shot of Pepe freaking out and having like 17 heads. <laughs> I love that. I love that one so much. But are we good with uh, sentimental reasons? Any other facts about that one? I like the bouncing. I, I, I really like
1: the. I really like the. 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 Uh, the, the it, it's the cuts from Frank and Cat running away to just this pleasant little music cue of Pepe Le Pew just bouncing.
0: And the other fun fact I have about Pepe Le Pew is how his legacy sort of mired the person he's based off's legacy because Pepe Le Pew is undeniably based off of the actor Charles Boyer who is a sort of very much a French lover type from the 1930s and 40s in that era. And one of the lines that has been attributed to Charles Boyer is that sort of, come with me to the Casbah, we would make beautiful music together sort of thing. And Charles Boyer never said that in any of his movies. It's because of a lot of the Looney Tunes that have, you know, like made that legend with Pepe Le Pew and also with bugs in, forget the name of it, but it's in Looney Tunes Bugs Bunny movie. the one with him and Yosemite Sam uh, trying to steal Granny's Mother. That, that's a classic. But yes, um, yes. characters yes. like that saying, i with Mizuzi Kazaba have said that line more than the person the freaking character is based off of has said that line, which is very funny. Yeah. That's uh, that's our Pepe short, our, our obligatory Pepe short. So we, we
1: transition back to Bugs'
0: Place. This is a transition I remember. Oh, good. We
1: transition back to Bugs' Place and we just hear piano music playing and then we, we cut the bugs and it's just yeah i i played this extravagant music piece uh, under 30 seconds it's a new world record
0: the minute waltz <laughs> just, yeah and,
1: and what's funny is and just a little uh a personal thing for me that frame of bugs at the piano with the golden piano and the carrot uh candles set up that's based on an actual chuck jones painting hmm. that, that that i know that because uh, a friend of mine has that painting in, in nice. his living room yeah of of bucks bunny so so yeah so i I find that music like oh yeah he, he i i don't know what i don't know when chuck jones painted that but i assume he was around that time you know, that, yeah. that was a side hobby he did he made shorts and also did paintings yeah, of his characters in there. Great, and
0: they're gorgeous. Yes, yeah, no, I have no doubt. But you know that's a very Chuck sort of thing, and and from there we segue into like the sort of musical uh, Bugs Bunny shorts, and and he picked two classic ones. I'll give him that. Oh yeah. Uh, the first of which Chuck being yeah. uh, Long Haired Hair, which is another classic. I mean, again, Chuck Jones picked some of his best ones and just sort of organized it around that. There's not a lot of duds in the whole thing. And Long Haired Hair is another just really strong one that has been oft-parodied. I mean, the week we record this, Robert Smigel, um, former SNL writer, has said it's, it's been, that Long Haired Hair is one of his influences on a lot of, one of the couple of the comedy things he's written over the years. One of several comedies, he's, he's very influential. But um, yeah, everybody knows this one, everybody loves this one. It's a classic, it's Bugs and Giovanni Jones the opera singer going at it my only uh
1: complaint is that the short is literally cut in half yeah they have the setup which is the opening yeah. thing of course you Now, bugs plays music and the opera singer is performing gets thrown off by bugs is playing so he goes back to him and just destroys the instruments and then we we cut we fade the black and we fade back into the end of the short which is when Bugs impersonates the great composer Leopold, Leopold. (laughs) which is probably, uh, honestly, I do think that because the kind of thing about Bugs Bunny shorts and thing that was kind of Chuck Jones's um, mythology about Bugs Bunny is that the best Bugs is ones where he's minding his own business and then an outside force messes with him.
0: And that's definitely what that is,
1: Ozzy. This is probably one of the probably one of the harshest, but also funniest messing with because Bugs knows exactly what this guy does and what he's into. So he just completely screws with him by having him hold these long, long
0: notes. Yeah, that and that whole bit again. We'll, we'll eventually cover this, but that whole bit is is genius and one of the All most right. one of the most memorable Bugs Money bits I think ever. And then, of course, the most famous musical-involved Bugs Bunny cartoon ever follows that one, which is What's Opera Doc? Which, what needs to be said about What's Opera Doc? It's basically the closest the Looney Tunes ever got to art, high art.
1: This short, no cuts. There no. are no edits for What's Opera Doc. It's the entire cartoon from start to finish. And, and what's great is, is you've spent about an hour and actually yeah yeah now so you you, by this point you spend like an hour watching this guy's work and then you just go to watch opera doc and you really understand why it is so good just the the backgrounds and the music and just like you can tell so much effort Not, not that effort didn't go into the other short story in this film but you can clearly see why this one's the big one yes So you can see why this one gets all the praise in comparison to all the other shorts we've seen in this uh film
0: and i think i think in the same list we've been referring to all episode i think this was was this name the number one of the top 50 cartoons of all time because i feel like it was
1: oh oh yeah
0: yeah yeah and and deservingly so because it's it's so much of what this cartoon does is beyond what cartoons were previously capable. And we'll, we'll talk about this in length in another episode. I know we've been saying that a lot, but we want to do all of these justice instead of just cramming them into something in a movie. Yeah. But, um, the last of the Bugs Bunny ones that are done in succession is one we covered literally last week, which is operation rabbit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and this was why, because you were talking about how you remember this short, but you don't know why oh. uh, until the Golden Collection. The reason you remember this one so well was because it was in this movie.
0: <laughs> and the thing is, and I, I should have said this far earlier, is I didn't watch this, the, the the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie very often as a kid. Neither did I. I would watch it maybe once or twice, or if it, it was on, it would be the tail end. I would always catch it around when the Roadrunner bits would start. And of course, the beginning of that is, you know, seeing Wiley e. Coyote against Bugs Bunny. And that, that must have been like, hmm, I, I know this cartoon, but I forget where. Well, here. And it, it works here because it segues us perfectly from the Bugs Bunny portion to the Wiley e. Coyote portion because both of them feature Wiley e. Coyote getting his handed oh. to him by an animal that doesn't even need to try. So transition into the section
1: that it's a clear cut 19 minutes of. I'm. I'm assuming one must be just Chuck and Mike's favorite Wiley gags for, from the old studio days.
0: Yeah, it it really seems like what would now be referred to as a supercut of just wall to wall, back to back Wiley Coyote Roadrunner gags. And I I went through and I, I I delineated which ones come up from which. And there's a lot of repeated ones. There's a couple that are like. Like a lot of a lot of this sequence went back to the well with a couple of different cartoons, including like to beep or not to beep or um There they go 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 or whatever. But um you get a lot of spread out ones. And you, you only actually get one from Fast and Furious, which is the first one that we covered last week. But you see a lot more that are from the later, later fifties. Uh, more abstract desert era of wildlife e. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons, which is good because that was when the weirder, more wilder um, gags began to come about. And I, I do kind of, and there's a lot of those in this. I do love those. So I have I have the list here of all the ones of you know every every gag in succession from by which cartoon in order, uh, and I'll just I'll just go through them. Um, uh, the intro sequence you with have the Latin 60 names. 60 seconds, go. <laughs> no, not 60 seconds. I, I can't do it in 60 seconds. I can't even do the minute waltz in 60 seconds. But bugs sure can. Um, all right. Uh, the intro sequence with the Latin names. That's from Hip Hip Hurry. Um, right after that, the smoke and cliff gag from the intro and the, ja- and the jackhammer scene right after is from Zoom and Board. Uh, we follow that with a lasso gag from To Beep or Not To Beep. Uh, we have two consecutive bow and arrow gags right after that one. One of them is from Zip and Snort. The other is from Guided Muscle. We have a cannonball gag immediately after that one from Zip and Snort. Um, we have the setup to the steel road wall gag from Stop, Looking, and Hasten. Uh, the, the giant Acme rubber band from Wild About Hurry, which I wasn't that familiar with because that one wasn't on the Golden Collections, I don't think. Um, two consecutive slingshot scenes, one from Guided Muscle, the other from Going, Going, Gosh. Uh, the human cannonball gag from Zipping Along, then the wrecking ball gag. Uh, Boulder gag from Hip Hip Hurry. Uh Woe Be Gone, which is another later one that I wasn't that familiar with. We have a teeter-totter scene followed by a trampoline gag. I don't know, Woe Be Gone might have been in there because the trampoline... No, there's another trampoline gag that I'm used to, which is... I'm getting confused, and this is just the thing I put together. Um, another trampoline gag from Hot Rod and Reel is right after that one. Uh there is an Acme bird seed gag from Stop Lookin' Hasten. Um one of the more classic Roadrunner Coyote gags, which is the rock avalanche, from there they go, 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 is in there next where he has to, you know, that he releases the bridge, it doesn't go, and he has to get a stick and poke at it. And he goes, For heaven's sake, what am I doing? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and has to go to a little umbrella. <laughs> I love that one. That's one of my favorites. Um uh, yeah. Throughout the next couple of these, we get the setups and different go back back to the well ones from the To Beep or Not To Beep catapult series, which is like a good six or seven consecutive catapult gags that all go wrong in succession that are all like five seconds long. And we just get them interspersed in the next couple of these. And I love every single one of those in the original To Beep or Not To Beep category, um, the cartoon. Um, So we have that one. We have the woe be gone high wire one, which is great. Um, we have going, going gosh, which is the Wiley e. coyote and drag gag where he's a hitchhiker and then road rider come, comes in, which is great. Um, then back to the, to be a not to be the catapults. And then we finally get the payoff of the steel wall gag from stop looking hasten with the leg muscle vitamins, which is another great gag uh the spring coil gag from scrambled eggs is back there back to the catapults and then we have the fast and furious superman gag which we just covered last week which is a great one and that's followed by the batman gag from G Wiz, which is honestly even funnier than that one because of just the frantic look when he realizes the wings are gone and he's trying to flap nothing (laughs) i love that one um another catapult gag which is great and then this was one that I wasn't familiar with from the Golden Collections, but I think I was familiar with just from this one, which is the um, the Hopalong Casualty one with earthquake pills. Yes. Oh. Earthquake pills. Yes. That one works so well. Just the impending peril, just the just the, the the shock and the oh no from Wiley when he realizes what's about to happen. I love that.
1: It's one of the few gags that it goes on for a bit. Yes. You're using these guys like five seconds, ten seconds long. This guy actually like. It takes his time, like getting more intense, which honestly makes it much more funnier.
0: And, and, and it's even funnier when all this happens, he he stops, and then he just walks right off the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so after that is the payoff, the end of the the catapult sequence, which it, again a very long payoff of him trying to figure out why the slingshot won't go, and he looks or we have to jump on top of it and then the last one we have is the uh the, the rocket slag gag from be prepared which is a, a explosion to end it off with and chuck is nice enough to sort of segue that into bugs bunny stargazing on his uh, on his porch and um yeah. he puts a button on the whole history of comedy thing and it's a very sweet, good-natured Chuck Jonesian string of beliefs on comedy. And I, I kind of like it a lot here and it sort of puts the whole thing into perspective. And we, we end with a little constellation of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner chasing each other in the sky, which is again, very Chuck and very cool. And yeah. right before the movie ends, we get the phrase that ended up as the title of our podcast, which is, that's not quite all folks.
1: Because the credits didn't happen yet. No. (laughs) Yep. Oh, credits do. And okay, okay. this is a a little nitpick for me. And honestly, it's something that it kind of annoyed me a bit, but not too much. And I'm not getting Phil Monroe uh, crap for the way he helped animate these sequences. The lip sync was a bit off for me. Yeah. Like, especially especially at this moment where it's like, yo, creme credits do. Bugs's mouth starts moving three seconds before the audio yeah. kicks in, at, at least for my copy. So that, that, that always threw me off like, oh, wait, like, is that rest of my DVD? Nope, that's just how it was. Okay. Uh,. So then we just uh, cut to the credits and credits for all the people who've animated on the shorts, you know, like uh, under animation just gives like, you know, gives like Bill Monroe and like all the other animation people and then just and many more because there's just so many yeah. animators and you no. Know, through it all i know uh carl Stalin gets a credit no franklin gets a credit Drake brown gets a credit everyone but bob everyone but bob. yes everyone but bob heck his wife gets the movie is dedicated to his wife so his wife gets a credit like literally everyone gets a credit but bob yeah so so we end the end credit sequence with one more um probably the the last ever bugs on the shield uh, image yeah, just Bugs. It comes out on the shield, says, "Eat your heart out, Burt Reynolds,"
0: <laughs> which I never
1: got as a kid. Well, I never like I, I kind of get it now. But I never got as a kid. Like, what the hell? What the Burt Reynolds duty? It was how do to you no, Burke I mean, Reynolds? Anyways,
0: <laughs> I, th- I think I 1979, Burt Reynolds was like one of the biggest stars, not only in movies but also on the Warner Brothers catalog. So, huh. it's basically Bugs Bunny, basically saying. B- Burt Reynolds may be Mr. Warner Brothers right now, but I'm always going to be Mr. Warner Brothers. And to this day, Bugs Bunny is still synonymous with Warner Brothers, and Burt Reynolds is the guy that Norm MacDonald did the impression of on Celebrity Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Hey, yeah, no. Ferguson. That's not my name, my name's Ferguson. <laughs> what is Scooby-Doo?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then we finally uh, transition into just the credits going that's really all like underline that's really all folks. You mean it?
0: No, it's just very chuck to be like, okay, we swear we're done. But yeah. That is um that is the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie, and uh, it's 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 fine. Yeah, it's good. Um
1: this was always I mean, not to give uh but... The, give the game away early, but this is always my huh. okay. Well, in terms of the Bugs Bunny Looney Tunes films, uh, this is my least liked, which is so crazy because I adore Chuck Jones. I, I love the guy, and yet his movies my least favorite. That that never computed with me. Just how does that make sense? This is literally a movie that has killer shorts. Every single one of them are great, and yet it's the ones from frizz who is my second favorite little tune director he's pretty good too but it just ah, they, they always uh always uh confused me for, for for my own personal taste you
0: know yeah and I, th- I think that's just what it is i think that the individual shorts in this cartoon in this movie are all really good but i think just the fact that it's only nominally strung together by a very simple, easy bridging device. I think that that makes it a little harder to work as a film. It's, again, it's not really a a film as much as it is a collection of shorts that are sort of strung together by a theme, but not as much as the the later Fritz Freeling ones. And that detracts from a lot of the greatness of these shorts. Because these, again, these shorts could be a lot of five out of fives on their own, but because they're put together and not really strung into a plot, then that's that just takes away from them. it occurs to I me, mean, I maybe mean, this kind of served the purpose because before vhs's and before a lot of you know the golden collection and stuff this was the way that people would just go out and see the looney tunes cartoons other than on tv this was an organized way of saying okay all the great ones are on this movie and that was what this was for as well as sort of the early vhs ones and a lot of these early um, Short led movies, and until we'd get the golden collections, we wouldn't really, you know, we would keep doing things like this and collections like that. So, um, I see why it was made, I see why it was done this way. I think it's good, but it could have been better. I could see how this
1: movie could have been kind of like a nostalgia yeah. for, for people, you know, because I think if. 1979, okay. The Bugs Bite show aired in 1955, correct? Something like that, that, yeah. Uh, I don't know when the Bugs made show So in the 50s. So by the time this movie came out, you probably have people who were in college and, like every college student, have a bit of a nostalgic, uh, desire, you know, uh, for our generation, it's, um, like, maybe, like, buying a GameCube and buying all the games yeah. to play as a kid and play those again. But I think for um, for the young adults of 1979, there's probably a nice, like, nostalgic, like, oh, God, I love the late tunes. I, I, I watch them again at my local Cineplex for, like, 5 $7, hmm. maybe, in 1979? I don't I'm know. Actually, yeah. Maybe a, 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 a nostalgia... Uh, an, uh, a nostalgic yeah. perspective for this movie, either gang made or gang,
0: it, it's box right. office, and that makes a lot of sense. But this is this is fine, I just think we're going to have a lot more heft in our discussions of future Looney Tunes movies.
1: The rewatchability factor, which I find to be a actual oh. statistic when it comes to movies, mm-hmm. is kind of low. I mean, uh, again, like we are the Golden Collections, we have. H.O. Max, for, for, for Pete's Like If we really wanted to watch these cartoons, we can easily find them much easier than going to an entire movie to watch right. them.
0: If you if you want to watch this, it's still out on a lot of platforms and it's still in the archive.com VHS collection. So if you want to look there, a, matter of, a lot of the early um, uh, Lonely Tunes movies are there. A
1: bunch of like early 2000s Cartoon Network, Cartoon Theater airings of these movies. So if you want a double nostalgic dose, just go for those because that was great to see the Cartoon Theater opening. It's like, oh, man. That takes me back. I remember when this played in front of the Iron Giants. (laughs) Okay, so uh, what's your – Anvil rating? Are we doing Anvil ratings
0: on movies? Yeah, we we could do Anvil ratings on movies. And it's easy for me to figure these out because um, you see, for any movie fans out there, there's a little site called Letterboxd where, uh, you know, there's, you know, you just rate movies. And I'm on there. I'm at um, I think I'm Airball Jordan on there if you want to watch my feelings on John Hughes movies and random crap. But um, my, my Anvil rating for this one is a 3.5 out of 5. Uh, it it It's a fine movie, picks a fine amount of shorts, doesn't do too much with the bridging. This is very much Chuck Jones's vision and com- comedy philosophy, so I'll give him that. So I'm glad I revisited it, but I prefer Frizzes.
1: Yeah, I also agree with that Anvil rating. I'm also going to give it a, a 3.5 out of 5. It's fine. Uh, I think that, that's the main difference between this film and the Frizz films. The Frizz-feeling films, just by combine the shorts and putting them together and having it be a bit of a good story, I find yeah. it much more of a uh, s- talented skill than this kind of shoestring of a uh, of a plot right. to, to, to these shorts.
0: So yeah, that's that's basically, that's the end of this Hollywood, very Hollywoodized episode. And we're not going to, and again, our, our movie episodes, our Hollywood episodes... Are going to be on the ten. So the next, uh, the next movie we're going to cover in about ten episodes is the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie, which I have a ton of fun. This for so I'm excited to get to that oh, yeah. in ten shows. But, but that's you know that that's our next Hollywood one. So we, so until then we have regular episodes. And if I'm not mistaken, the regular episodes are going to take a new format in the next one, right? Yes. So did you like how this was a longer episode? Well, guess what.
1: Starting with next week's episode, we are going to be shifting to a themed style. That is, we will we will think up of a theme and pick three shorts that go along with it. Oh my god. So for next week's episode, we are going to do the hunting trilogy. Uh, that is uh, Rabbit Seasoning, Rabbit Fire, and Duck Rabbit Duck.
0: Yes. Yeah, so we're clearly the first people to ever talk about these.
1: <laughs> we talk about the obscure stuff on this show, oh, such yeah. as the most
0: popular series of Bugs, uh, Daffy, and Elmer shorts. Yes, yeah. but we are going to try and find uh, things to say about it that haven't really been said before and different perspectives about it. And this is also going to be an opportunity to talk about Duck, Rabbit, Duck, which is forgotten in comparison to the other two, Rabbit Season and Rabbit Fire. And we can, I can sing its praises a little bit because... A lot of my entry into the Looney Tunes fandom is sort of waiting for that one to be released on DVD so I could finally watch it. So that'll be an interesting one next time. And But yeah, it'll be a very spirited commentary. But we are doing three episodes or three cartoons per episode from now on, which is very nice.
1: And also, if you have any thoughts about these shorts, you can send them to us on twitter using the at that underscore looney twitter handle and we will read your comments at the end of the show so there is a possibility that we will have your thoughts read in each episode
0: exactly and that'll be very exciting um to get you guys and a part of it oh
1: yeah speaking of twitter if you want to follow each of us individually on the platform, you can follow me at MarkHalem1995.
0: You can also follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt.
1: Like we've said, if you want to keep up with the podcast, have an avenue to get your thoughts out on each short coming up, you can follow that at that underscore loony. Or you put in the podcast's title, We Are The First Results.
0: You can also find us wherever podcasts are listened to or found. That includes your... Spotify uh, podcasts, your Apple podcasts, we're on player FM, uh, all your trendy, wherever you listen to us, we're there. And whenever, wherever you're not listening to us, you should also listen to us because we should monopolize all the places where things can be heard. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. So until next week, I'm
0: Mark. And I'm Jordan, and this has been a very Hollywood, very, very L.A., very, very snooty episode. That's not quite all, folks. Be sure to join us next time. Bye-bye.